0: so gracious, God. We pause to lift up Paul before he preaches today. You bless us so much, God. You're so good to us. You bless us with this man and all the things that he does. And you bless us through him each Sunday when he preaches, God. I pray that his words will be your words today. That you would teach us, God, that you would preach to us from this scripture that you want us to hear. I pray, God, that we would leave from this place knowing that we've heard your voice and that you will bless this man as he does it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we are rolling through the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, we found out, is typically not a book that a lot of Christians spend a lot of time in, in their quiet times. And so, as we're going through Ezekiel, here now, starting in the verse 12 of chapter 14, we're going to talk about the judgment of God, not a popular topic. So, I I want to get into some of the judgment of God and kind of maybe answer some burning questions or at least some questions our culture has. So starting with verse 12. Then this, man, then this message came to me from the Lord. Say it now with me. Son of man, okay. Suppose the people of a country were to sin against me, and I lifted my fist to crush them, cutting off their food supply and sending a famine to destroy both people and animals alike. Even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, their righteousness would save no one but themselves, declares the Holy Sovereign Lord. Or suppose I were to send an, invitation, an invasion of dangerous wild animals to devastate the land and kill the people. Even if these three men were there, the sovereign Lord swears that it would do no good. It wouldn't save the people from destruction. Those three alone would be saved, but the land would be devastated. Or suppose I were to bring war against the land, or the sword, and I told enemy armies to come and destroy everything. Even these three men, were they in the land, the sovereign Lord swears that they would not, they could not save the people. They alone would be saved. Or suppose I were to pour out my fury by sending an epidemic of disease into the land and the plague killed people and animals alike. Even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, the sovereign Lord swears that they could not save the people. They alone would be saved by their righteousness. Now this is what the sovereign Lord says. How terrible it will be when all four of these fearsome punishments fall upon Jerusalem. The sword or war, famine, beasts, and the plague, destroying all her people and animals. Yet there will be survivors and they will come here to join you as exiles in Babylon. And then you will see with your own eyes how wicked they are, and you will feel better about what I have done to Jerusalem. When you meet them and see their behavior, you will agree that these things are not being done to Israel without cause, says the sovereign Lord. When we get a judgment that we perceive as unfair, we react to it, we feel, and as humans we feel, and oftentimes I think we feel like, if I was in God's shoes, I would do it differently. Now, let me share with you, go back in time with me to the year 1990. I'm a junior in high school, and Forest Hills Baptist Church's basketball team is in the conference championship against Bayleaf Baptist. Paul, where are you at? Good stuff. Uh, Paul, Paul, Paul and I also share uh, Forest Hills growing up. So we were in conference championship against Bayleaf Baptist, and they had a kid named Troy that played for their basketball team. Troy would go on to be a collegiate basketball player. At the time, he was a stud at his high school. He went to Millbrook High School. I went to Broughton High School. And he was a stud. And so we're getting ready to have the last practice that we're gonna have prior to this game against Bayleaf. And the coach huddles us all together. with this little gym across the street from our church. And the coach says, all right, here's the plan for the game. Paul, you're gonna foul out of the game. And I was like, well, that's pessimistic. You know, I was like, I'm, I'm, I foul if I want to. No, he said, no, 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 you're going to foul out of the game. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, our strategy for the game is you're going to be boxing one defense on Troy the entire game. He's like, I don't want you to take a shot. I don't want you to do anything. You're going to run picks on him on offense. You're going to be on him defensively. If you foul out of the game, that's great. Foul out of the game. And I'm like, coach, this is a great waste of talent here. Oh, man, and so I kind of stewed on it, and everybody else is practicing, they're doing these drills about, you know, breaking out in the corner for the three-pointer and all this kind of stuff, you know, and I'm like, and I'm going to be doing this guarding this guy, and I'm just going to be on him, I don't know if you've seen the movie Hoosiers, but it was a part of, part of the game where he, the coach tells one of the players, Buddy, to stick on a guy like he's chewing gum, and at the end of the game, I want you to find out what flavor of gum he is, and at the end of the game, Buddy says, he was dentine, and the guy kind of, that was what the coach was, Coach Parker Flowers told me, and he's like, I want you to do that. So I, I was like, I stewed on it, and about Friday, the game was Saturday morning. About Friday, I had like a little bit of a, a, a change of heart. I think my mom and also um, one of the players on the team was like, man, if that's your mission, do it. Don't pout, you know, do it. You think it's unfair? Well, do this, do this unfair thing, but do it to the best of your ability. So I thought, well, what can I do? So I went home, and I got my jersey, and I took a roll of duct tape, and I spelled out Troy on the front of my jersey. Yes, you, don't, you did not want to know me in high school. Tucked it in, tucked it in to so the beginning of the NBA, all right. And then as I began to guard Troy, I'm up in his face, and I pull my jersey out of my pants. My jersey's red, Troy is in big silver letters right at the front. Well, that was the easiest way to get my first foul of the game, it was a technical. Right there, it's a technical foul right there, boop! You gotta take that off, I was like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm, I don't wanna take it off, and then we had a discussion about whether it was against the rules or not, but anyway, it wasn't against the rules, I left it on there, but I got technical foul. So, 30 seconds in the game, technical foul, where we go, we're on a great term. Anyway, long story short, we held them to like a record low number of points, our three point shooters really were great, we won the game, went on to the state, state championship game that year, 1990. This a very unfair thing though. I was like, this is so unfair. Everybody else, why me? Why am I the one getting picked on? And I think so often, we think about that with the Lord as well. Especially when his judgments are handed down. We're kind of like, you know what, God? If I was in your shoes, I would do it differently. Matter of fact, the problem of pain and the quote-unquote judgments of God are one of the things, or the problem of evil, it's one of the main things that drives people away from the church because they don't understand it. Or they act with their feelings first. And it's also one of the main things that atheists have an issue with, with us. I can't believe there would be a God if he would allow this to happen or cause this to happen or maybe even be behind this. So what do we do with God's judgments? How do we do it when there's a judgment handed down to us? What does that look like? So let's, if you've got your Bibles, turn there. And so when we, get to, when we get to Ezekiel 14, we're talking about God's judgments. Realize that whenever we question God's judgment, essentially what we're doing is Questioning his character. Questioning his character. So the question about is God fair, is he just, is essentially traced back to being a question about God's character. Is he good? Can we trust him? Can we hold him up? And so starting with verses 12 and 13, we're going to go through these verse by verse, and then we'll go back and do a flyover on chapters 11, 12, and 13. So verses 12 and 13, you got it again. Son of man, starts out again. Why? Again, he's saying, listen, I'm God. You're an offspring of people. Let's understand that you're not my equal. You're not my equal. You're not my equal, so listen to what the sovereign Lord, I'm in charge, I'm God and you're not. And so he begins to talk to them about one of four judgments that he's going to give them. One of four judgments against the Israelites that are still in Jerusalem. And remember, Ezekiel, just like Daniel, is an exile in the land of Babylon. So he says, listen, I'm going to send famine. And he says, it's not going to be happenstance either. Look at the language. If I raise my fist, and he's basically saying, you've got to know it's on me. I'm the one that's going to do this. I'm the one that's bringing this. This isn't a happenstance. This isn't circumstances out of my control. I'm the one that's doing it. It's quite all right. And by the way, this is a thing that I promised. If people worship idols and they turn from me, Deuteronomy 28 Deuteronomy 30, 39, and 40. Deuteronomy 50 through 57, God promises, if you turn away from me and worship idols, I will send a famine into your land. So, parents, you know about this. Do that one more time. All right, now the belt's coming off. You know, maybe not. Maybe it's just time out these days. I got whipped growing up. Woo. But then in verse 14, God begins to be the awesome name dropper. God's not typically a name dropper, and I miss this all the other times, but he says, now listen, even if Noah Daniel and Job were there. Why, why call out those three men? Because they're known for their righteousness. They're also known for their righteousness with, in respect to the unrighteousness that was going on around them. And he says, listen, even if they were there, even if they were there, these three that have been tested and proven in their righteousness, and they have been faithful, even though around them people did not respond, neither will I save that city, even if those three righteous men are there. So in verses 15 and 16, he talks about a different kind of judgment, wild animals. This is amazing. I don't know what this would have been like, but imagine a land so overrun by lions or jackals or whatever that you couldn't let your children play outside. And he says, what if I send wild animals? Even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, it wouldn't matter. And and the inference in these verses is you can't borrow your righteousness from someone else. Just because righteous people are among you doesn't mean that righteousness applies over to you. Even if they were there, that righteousness isn't borrowable to the, country of, to the country of Israel. And so this is also something that God even actually promised this in Le- Leviticus 26, 22. I'll send wild animals among you as a plague. Then verses 17 through 18 talks about war, and the word, if you've got the NIV, says the sword. Now the word the sword is used 86 times in Ezekiel. Do you think God wants them to understand to say, listen, I'm sending a foreign army to come and invade you. Yes, they're idol worshipers. Yes, they're pagans. But just as C.S. Lewis would say, even pagans are God's pagans. And so why he uses the word sovereign, he says, I will be the one in charge. Once again, this was promised time and time again. And if you want to see a different reflection on it, mark in Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11. Habakkuk then describes what's going on when this invading army comes in and plunders Jerusalem and plunders Israel. And he says, it's going to happen. Even though they're pagan armies, they're my pagan armies, and I will send them in there. And then verses 19 to 20, he talks about plagues and pestilence. That he will send plagues and pestilence on the people. A a newer testament one of this it comes in the Revelation chapter six, verse Revelation chapter six verses three through eight, where John talks about the warrior or, or the warrior mounted the horseman on the green pale horse that rides in and plague and pestilence follow him. This is a judgment, and the fact that there are four are meaning for them to say, hey, elders, hey, leaders, are you listening? I'm not talking one, I'm not talking two, I'm not talking three, I'm not talking four. Do you understand how serious I am about your idolatry? I'm not talking about disciplining you, I'm talking about disciplining you. Four times, will you repent? Will you repent? Four things that I'm guaranteeing. And then there's this sovereign part that comes in in verse 21. In verse 21, he says again, sovereignly. It's not gonna be happenstance, I'm going to be behind it. So so often we talk about this whole idea of, well, I can't believe God would allow this to happen. You've got to, you can't miss that in this verse. He's saying, no, no, I'm not allowing it to happen. I'm causing it to happen. The destruction is going to be on me when I raise my fist, the sovereign Lord. So then verses 22 through 23 are incredible because quite so often we don't get the explanation afterwards. Even when you look at the parables, oftentimes the Jesus will tell the parable, and sometimes he doesn't get to explain it to the disciples. Sometimes the disciples are like, what did that mean? But this time he says, you're going to see. And so in verse 22, he says, listen, some of them are going to escape death, and they're going to be carried off into captivity, and they're going to be brought back to you. You're, you're in Ezekiel. They're gonna be, you, Ezekiel, you're in Babylon in exile. They're going to be brought to you. You're going to see them. And with your own eyes, you know what you're going to see? You're going to be a witness to the fact that I'm right that my justice and my judgments are righteous. You're going to see and I'm giving you an invitation to feel. Now this is interesting. Cuz typically feelings get us in trouble, but he says, "Listen, you're going to be able to feel and know that I was right. You're going to feel it. And you're going to then testify and be my witness, "Hey, I saw the kind of people that God was having his justice and wrath on. He was right. He was right. They're going to come among you." And this is super important because we're going to talk about this later. People feel and then we react. Which the problem with that is quite often we feel and we react in a way that is not congruent with Scripture. We react in a way that does not reflect truly God's character when we feel His judgment. And then verse 23, you got to also see that God's saying, you want to know how hard these people's hearts are? These, people's are so, these, people's, these people are so hard-hearted, they're, they're going to see the judgment, they're going to see the devastation, they're going to know the prophecy, and their hearts will still be so hard that they will come be among you and they won't be repentant. So you can then see me, I'm not looking for your validation on my judgment. I want you to know my character, Ezekiel. I want you to see that I'm good and that when I bring judgment, it's not willy-nilly, or I'm not just some angry God looking for something to do on a Tuesday afternoon because I'm bored. There is rampant idolatry, and I'm going to deal with it. So let's do a quick flyover of chapters 11 and 12. So you got your Bible. you can turn back to chapters 11 and 12. So chapter 11 is a chapter that begins with spiritual teleportation right at the very beginning. Just, just like Philip in the book of Acts, the Spirit takes Ezekiel, and they are over looking over the temple, and they're looking over the temple there in Jerusalem, and they see Israel's leaders. Not only are they worshiping idols, but they're also giving false prophecy. And they're kind of doing this crazy, weird prophecy. It's one of these things that wouldn't translate to us. And so what they're saying is, hey, listen. This is a time for Israel to expand, for Jerusalem to build. Now, there ain't no invasion coming. We need to build. We are like meat cooking in an iron pot, and the wall of that pot is going to keep us safe. What a weird analogy. You know I mean? We don't use iron pot and cooking method. But what they were saying was, just like the, the security of whatever's in a pot because of the wall, literally the wall of the pot around it, so behind this wall of Jerusalem, we are going to be safe. And Ezekiel's like, nope. You're not going to be safe. And the Lord comes and says to him, No, you're not. The invasion is coming. And then he sees or hears about how devastating the invasion is going to be. And it causes Ezekiel to quail, it causes him to to fret. And he says, Oh, Lord, will everyone be destroyed? And I said this earlier at the beginning of the service God doesn't come back to Ezekiel and give him this personal, No, listen, it's going to be okay, Ezekiel. He says, No, there will be a remnant that will be saved. There will be a remnant that is going to be saved, and there will be faithful, and I will take care of them. And then in response to his fretting, in response to his giving up, he does the same thing he has done in chapter 6, which is he shows Ezekiel his glory again. Again, it's not the way that he probably wants to see it, but as we said before, because of the idolatry, the glory of the Lord has now raised up and left the temple of Jerusalem. But now, the glory of the Lord will raise up, and Ezekiel will see the glory of the Lord leave Israel altogether. I mean, leave Jerusalem altogether. So in chapter 12, chapter 12 begins with another demonstration. Now, if you missed chapter 4, chapter 4 is amazing. Ezekiel has to lay on his side for over a year prophesying, playing with a Lego scene of Jerusalem being invaded. He's yelling at people, eating bread, cooked over poop. It's amazing. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 12, another one happens, and he says, listen, Ezekiel, you're going to reenact the fact that this devastation of the city and this carrying off into captivity is going to happen, so here's what I want you to do. Ezekiel, I want you to get your clothes like you're going to travel, and you ever heard of this, like when if somebody's like, hey, really get going, we're going to go, grab everything you can, and you go into the closet and you put on like a sweater and a a flannel and a vest and a jacket, because you're just kind of like, well, he says, you know, he's doing that, Ezekiel's putting all the clothes on he can carry, and then he grabs his he grabs his luggage as if he's going to leave. And then he says, Ezekiel, what I want you to do is then go to the wall and dig your way through the wall, watch, let everyone watch you, and then you go through the wall and then pull your luggage through the wall and go and leave so that everyone can see. And when they ask you what you're doing, you tell them, this is to show you the surety that what God has prophesied is going to happen. This is incredibly important. Because what has been going on is that there become a new saying in Israel. Israel had all these kind of incredible sayings, you know, they're just like us, you know, that's what she said, or whatever, they would say things like that. One of them was, is Saul a prophet too? That was, a, that was something that came out in 1 Kings, uh, 1 Samuel as well. But the, the new saying was, time exposes all prophets as liars. That was the saying in cynical Israel. Because what had happened was, people would prophesy, people like Ezekiel prophesy, and people would go out on the street with their watches and be like, I ain't seen nothing. That's good. We're good. Time makes you look like a liar, Ezekiel. And so he said, you tell the Israelites there's going to be a new saying now, which is time's up. Time's up. All prophecy will be fulfilled. I hear your cynicalness. I'm going to fight fire with fire. and You know what the new saying is going to be? It's here. It's here. Take shelter. And then in chapter 13, chapter 13 is such a frustrating chapter for Ezekiel. So let me tell you kind of what's going on. What's going on, Ezekiel is prophesying this destruction, and there are all kind of leaders and false prophets coming out and being like, shut up, Ezekiel. No, don't listen to him. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Now, can you imagine being outside, maybe, maybe you're in a helicopter, and you're looking down over this giant building, and you see a fire in the corner of the building that not everyone can see, but it will soon engulf the building, and you begin to get on the loud phone, and you're like, let megaphone, and you're like, Get out. There's a fire, and all of a sudden, these other people show up in this massive caravan with, with megaphones as well, and they're like, Don't listen to him. You're good. How frustrating when all Ezekiel is doing is giving them the message of the Lord to save them. And people begin to speak false to them and they say, Don't listen. Don't listen. No, all is going to be well. And then there was even like this kind of strange thing that's going on in the second part of Ezekiel chapter 13, where there were women who were using their womanly wiles. I felt, I, I don't know, you don't have to worry about me doing that ever again. So, so, so anyway, but they're kind of working their way in with, the, with Israel's leaders and telling them, hey, don't listen, don't listen to that. And they're putting bracelets on them and, you know, maybe stroking their hair or whatever, and they hey, listen, that, that's, a, that's false. We're going to be good. You need to calm down. Don't listen to Ezekiel. And God says, there's going to be a special judgment for you all who speak falsely against what I'm saying that I'm going to do. And then we get to chapter 14, and all you know what breaks loose. And he says, here's what's coming. It's going to be a fourfold judgment against Israel. Well, we here in 2019, we don't, we don't like that. We don't like that. You know why? Because we like the God that is just sweet. You know, we like the precious moments figuring God in life way. We just like that. He's there. He's kind of got some angel wings, a little a little too small, you know, because it's cute. So it's a cute little halo right there. And he's playing a harp. And with this hand, he's blessing everyone. That's the God that everyone likes. No one likes this wrathful God that we have that shows up. But it's not wrathful based on nothing. And it's not judging based on nothing. It's judging based on people's blatant sin. And he's not just coming out of nowhere. He's promised them that it's coming. But what do we do when we question God's character? When you have have conversations with people who are not believers, they're going to bring these things up. Well, I just can't believe God. If there was a God, why would he allow this to happen? If there was a God, why would He do this? If there was a God, then why was there this outbreak of Ebola? Or if you know, we don't know the answers to those questions, but we do then go back to the character of God that we know as revealed to us through His Word. So the first I want to about God's judgment. I want to make an appeal to you as a believer. And if you're not a believer, that's fine. Just hear what we hear. You're invited in the huddle. This is what we say in the huddle. Here you go. You're invited. I want to appeal to the believer about God's judgment and God's justice and God's judgment that we're going to feel. We can't help it. We're going to feel about something. We're going to feel about it, and we're going to react. That's how we are. We're feeling creatures. Now, I began to realize that I am not a very compassionate person. That One of our pastors here on staff, like she will hear that someone passes away, and immediately she breaks down. And she's, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, somebody passes away, and I was like, yeah, they're old. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wait. I mean, like, God bless their family. You know what I mean? I, what's wrong with me? But... But when we see a judgment, and when we see something happens, and we perceive an injustice, we immediately react, and that's our feelings coming up. Our feelings are fine. God created us with feelings. But our feelings need to be in check with what we know about God's revealing himself to us through the full counsel of Scripture, through the full counsel of Scripture. So Ezekiel 12, 13. Ezekiel 12, 13. If you want to go back and look at that, if you got your Bibles. Ezekiel 12, 13. Actually, it's uh, Ezekiel eleven thirteen, 13. In Ezekiel eleven thirteen, he sees this Israelite leader die. And he sees it in his vision. And then it says this. Then I fell face down in the dust and cried out, O oh, sovereign Lord, are you gonna kill everyone in Israel? Do you know what that boils down to when we put the feelings in it? God, it sure doesn't seem fair that that would be your judgment. It sure doesn't seem fair That you're going to do this it sure doesn't seem right that you would do this and in reality god is very gracious to him because he cries this out god shows him in the later part of ezekiel 11 he says listen there's going to be a remnant i'm not going to wipe everybody out but also then he shows him his glory and he reminds him of his character and i want to say just a short little thing about this if we knew what god knows we would trust what god does if we knew what god knows We would trust what God does. So the beautiful part about the second half of chapter 14 is that then he says, listen, I know that I've told you all these things, of the judgments that I'm gonna bring against the Israelites there in Jerusalem, but I'm gonna let some of them come and be brought into captivity and they're gonna come meet you in captivity, you and Daniel, in Babylon. And then you with your own eyes, you're gonna see that my judgments are right. You're going to see that I am just, that I am true. If you knew what I knew, you would trust what I would do. Now the problem is, is that what we know and what we feel quite often truly don't line up. They truly don't line up. And we are always at war with what we know in Scripture and what the truth of God is. We're always at war with what we know about that and what we feel. And so part of this is we're going we're gonna to wrap up worship here in just a little bit with a song called Sweetly Broken. But the song Sweetly Broken has at its chorus, at the cross, that's all you need to know because in reality when we feel that something has been unjust and we're tempted to say where are you god god if i was god i would have done it differently if i was in your place lord i would have done it differently we need to then we don't have to, we can go to all different places in the scripture where god reveals his justice his goodness his truth but really the first place we need to go is to go to the cross and yeah go to the cross and let your feelings loose go to the cross and let your feelings loose Look up at the Savior, bruised, battered, scarred, beaten, put down, mocked, and rejected, dying in front of you for your sin. Look at that. Let your feelings go loose. Where do your feelings lead you? Your feelings have got to lead you to a place of, I am unworthy, and this is not fair. Is it? It's not fair. It is not fair. And what we know, though, however, is at that moment, the justice of God was working. At that moment, the justice of God was working. I was talking with the students at HCA this past week, uh, John 14, 6, where he says, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. That is wedding language right there. It's wedding language. I'm going to go prepare a place for you? And in, in, in the wedding, in, in that way, the way it was, was a young Jewish man would get engaged. He would go work. He would go work to build a place and then come back and get his bride and take her with him. So when Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place, what he's saying is, I'm going to go do the work. I'm going to go do the work to bring you here with me. Is it going to be fair? No. It's not fair. And yet the justice of God was accomplished in that moment where the sin of the world was placed on Christ. He took it to the cross, killed it, killed and murdered death, and in the injustice of that moment, justice was served. Now if you were God, would you have done it that way? No, why? Because if you knew everything that God knows, you would trust what God does. So my challenge to you is, when you perceive an injustice, when you see, you're like, why doesn't God stomp out this evil, why doesn't God do something with that? When you perceive that, let that feeling first take you to what you know about God. How he has revealed himself to you in his scripture. And let it take you to the cross. And the second thing is this, this is the beautiful part. I was listening to Ravi Zacharias this past week, and uh, he was kind of, I told Danielle, it was such, you know what, I know you guys, I know that you pray for me, because stuff just happens during the week, you know, it's kind of just random, and uh, I'm I'm listening to a podcast of Ravi Zacharias, and he begins to talk about the judgment of God, and I'm like, how cool is that? Here I am good because the commentaries were kind of dry this week but anyway this is this second point, and this is the last thing everyone wants justice but in order for justice to prevail there's got to be a judge everyone wants justice it, it's this it's this hot topic right now everyone wants justice but in order for there to be justice there's got to be a judge there's got to be a judge And so in chapters 10, chapter 11, chapter 13, we need to understand that justice is tied to exposing the truth. In chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 13, God peels back what's going on inside the temple. He peels back what's going on inside the homes of the leaders of the, of the church, uh, of Israel. He peels back what's going on in the secret bedrooms of these women false prophets. And he says, I want to expose the truth so that you will see that when justice comes, it's a result of this. Now, we need to understand that chapter 14, when we first, we want to jump right in, and we go, yeah, there's injustice against me. Chapter 14 is talking about justice being served against a nation. Now, we can extrapolate that down and talk about when things are just or unjust to us. But he's talking about a nation at this point. He's talking about a nation. And so, again, he's saying to Ezekiel, hey, listen, Ezekiel, if you knew what I know, you would trust what I do. And so, atheists and progressives, they lament the so called fairness of God. They they, they, they lament the fairness of God. And I want to say to you, by what standard are you judging something to be fair? By what standard? Are you judging them by the standard of 2019? Because in 1919, what was considered fair then will be considered a great injustice right now. Are you considering fairness based on the culture of America in 2019? Because what we think is incredibly unfair is incredibly just and fair in Africa, and vice versa. So by whose standard are you judging? In order for there to be justice, there's got to be a judge. So who's it gonna be? It's gonna be you. Who are you gonna pick? You even pick the wisest person in the world. The wisest person in the world may have access to somewhere around 100 years of life if they're really fortunate on this earth. What have they seen? 100 years of things. What have they read? As much as a person could read. What have they been exposed to? 100 years of things that people can be exposed to. Let's transfer that to the Lord. What has he seen? Everything. What has he known? Everything. What has he done? everything so if you want justice who do you want to be the judge and so you even come up with other things Well, like well i can't believe that god if if he is a just god just god why does he allow evil to go on why doesn't he stop evil and you want to just pause them right there and say this hey have you ever done anything evil before do you want god to pop out of your microwave and bust you in the face next time you do something evil no i kind of like getting away with evil yeah that's what i thought if you want that, apply it to yourself. And then we then react. I mean, We react to that. We feel and we go, praise God for God's mercy that he doesn't directly deal with everything evil that we did because we would be walking around like this. And the truth of it when we're believers as we come back to is the punishment for our evil was visited on the Son of God. He undertook it. And so somewhere in the midst of this, God is working. But the part where I want you to, the part where I want you to, to understand this is I want you to go and I want you to turn to Revelation. You got your Bible, turn to Revelation. You turn to Revelation 14, starting with verse 15. And we're gonna talk about the judgment of God. This is the reaping and the harvest of the earth when the judgment of God is carried out to his finality. In verse 15 in Revelation 14 says this, then an angel came from the temple and called out in a loud voice to the one sitting on the cloud Use the sickle, for the time has come for you to harvest. The crop is ripe on earth. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. After that, another angel came from the temple of heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, who has the power to destroy the world with fire, shouted to the angel with the sickle, Use your sickle now to gather the clusters of the grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are now fully ripe for judgment." So the angel swung his sickle on the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. And the grapes were trodden in the winepress outside the city, and the grape juice, like blood, or like blood, flowed out from the winepress in a stream about a hundred miles long and as high as a horse's bridle, right here. Now let's see how all of heaven and the world reacts to God's judgment. God has just reaped the entire world. The world is done. The world's done. Everyone that has done evil is getting ready to, it's this drink of the foaming cup of God's wrath. Here's how all of heaven responds. Then I saw in heaven another significant event, and it was the great and marvelous. It was great and marvelous. Seven angels were holding out the seven plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a crystal sea mixed with fire and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name and they were all holding harps. okay, Okay, here we go. But God had given them and here's what they were singing. And they were singing the song of Moses and the servant of God and the song of the Lamb and the song goes like this. Great and marvelous are your actions, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. O king of nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. And in the judgment of the earth, all of heaven and who survive respond, holy, righteous, and just are your judgments, God. Sometimes this ends up stuff like this. I get these questions like this, and I get a very timid child who has been invited by their parent into my office, and they ask me a question like this, and they go, my friend, their little sister died. She was three, and now I'm worried she's not gonna be in heaven. You wanna talk about a question of justice, and of judgment? And they say to me, is she going to be in heaven? And these are the moments that I dread and love. Because it's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? These so are the questions that we all wrestle with. And when we reflect on Romans 14 and 15, we reflect on Ezekiel 14, and we go back to the cross, I can confidently look that child and look that parent in the eye and go what? I know that the Lord's gonna do the right thing. In the end, the Lord does the right thing. In the end, God does the right thing. If we knew what God knows, we would trust what God does. And I invite them into scripture. What does the Lord tell us about how he loves us? What does the Lord tell us about his grace and mercy? What does the Lord reveal to us about his own sacrifice for us so that we can be with him for all eternity? And then we go back to the Psalms for the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in unfailing love. And I don't respond to that child with feeling. I don't respond to that child with an emotional reaction. I respond to that child with the blessed, merciful, tender truth of God that is revealed to us through his word. So I'm going to invite you here at the end of the service to respond as well. And we're going to talk about the cross, and we're going to talk about the goodness, and we're going to talk about the revealed grace and mercy of our Lord And that his judgments and his justice are good. And he is holy, true, and just. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And as we continue to love you through worship, draw us into a place where we trust you and we know that your judgments are true and trustworthy. Lord God, thank you so much for visiting the justice that we deserved on your son and for cleansing us and making us whole. And it's in your awesome name we pray, Lord. Amen.